I'm Alex Ames, and this is Cloister Talk, the Pennsylvania German Material Texts podcast. Welcome to Episode 2, What is Fraktur? Type, Script, and Art. In this episode, we'll go back to basics to cover some fundamental questions that need to be addressed in order to make sense of Pennsylvania German manuscript culture. Many collectors and scholars use the word Fraktur as a shorthand to denote Pennsylvania German manuscripts. In the next few minutes, we'll seek to define that word in its many meanings and consider its appropriateness as a catch-all term. This podcast series explores topics covered in my new book, The Word in the Wilderness, Popular Piety and the Manuscript Arts in Early Pennsylvania, published by the Pennsylvania State University Press in 2020. There were many questions I explored in the book that deserve further attention, so each of the episodes dives into a key question about Pennsylvania German manuscripts. If you'd like to learn more about anything discussed on the podcast, please read the book, which you can order from psupress.org or from your favorite bookseller or library. The vocabulary we use when discussing historical topics plays an important role in shaping our understanding of the questions in front of us. For this reason, before delving into specific aspects of the history of Pennsylvania German manuscript illumination, as we will in coming episodes of this podcast, I want to spend this episode answering the single most fundamental question about what many in southeastern Pennsylvania call fraktur. What is it? The word fraktur does not roll off the tongue, that's for sure. It probably calls to mind broken bones more than elegant and interesting early American artwork. The word has multiple meanings, and a description of them provides a useful lesson in the manuscript culture of early German Pennsylvania. The first thing you need to know about the term is that its use is confused, inconsistent, and sometimes even inaccurate. In today's episode, I would like to propose that the use of the term fraktur, as has become commonplace in the parlance of Pennsylvania German studies, is more harmful than useful to understanding the documents as transatlantic religious artifacts. I say this not as a judgment against the scholarship of the last hundred years or so, but rather in an attempt to create an opportunity to set the record straight and allow for a new, more accurate understanding to emerge. So let's consider what the word means. When scholars of Pennsylvania German decorative art and material culture talk about fraktur, they are referring to illuminated manuscripts, mostly but not exclusively of a religious nature, handwritten and decorated by German-speaking residents of southeastern Pennsylvania, between roughly 1750 and 1850. You will often see and hear the term used as a noun to refer to the genre of artwork. People may say, for example, that there is a fracture for sale at an antique store. The word is also used to reference the specific German Gothic handwriting style on the documents. Somewhat amusingly, at times the term is applied to American folk artworks made by cultures outside Pennsylvania German country that do not use the Gothic script, even though the term remains most closely associated with the German speakers in southeastern Pennsylvania. 
Unfortunately, this use of the term as a category of artwork is imprecise at best and misleading at worst, due entirely to the fact that American scholars have co-opted the word fracture from its original use in European penmanship, calligraphy, and typography, and applied it to manuscript illumination practices in early Pennsylvania, without bearing in mind its transatlantic history, context, and resonances. In the United States today, the term essentially combines three different meanings. The first and most accurate is the development of a particular handwriting style in the German-speaking lands in the early 1500s. The second is the development of a Gothic printing typeface based on that script. And the third is the broadening of the use of the term in America to refer to paper-based artworks in their entirety, as we just discussed. But when talking about fracture in a European context, the term universally refers to handwriting and printing typeface, not a class of complete artwork, so it is important to understand this disjuncture in the word's meaning when undertaking a global approach to manuscript study. Let's start our analysis of the word fracture by focusing on calligraphy and penmanship in a European context. In its most pure German form, the term Fraktur is actually Frakturschrift, which literally means fractured handwriting, a word derived from the Latin Fraktura, a script widely used in German-speaking Europe in the early 1500s. Frakturschrift was developed in the court of Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I, who lived from 1459 to 1519, under the guidance of courtiers including the famous monk Leonhard Wagner, as well as others who, specifically for the purposes of the imperial court, updated traditional medieval Gothic scripts for a new age. Maximilian sat on a precipice between two intellectual worlds, one dominated by scholasticism and written in Gothic black letter, the other by Italian humanism and written in the Roman script that most Westerners know today. Maximilian's imperial court became an intellectual, calligraphic, and typographical meeting ground, due both to the emperor's own intellectual proclivities and the pressing bureaucratic needs of his imperial apparatus. The emperor patronized the development of Druckfraktur, or Fraktur type, used in print publishing, for use in a printed prayer book in 1513 and the Teuerdank, a chronicle of Maximilian's life, in 1517, both of which are widely considered the first landmarks of Fraktur typography. In this era of close interaction between print and manuscript traditions, however, the roots of Druckfraktur are found in the earlier work of German scribes of the 15th and 16th centuries. The letter designs of court calligrapher Vincenz Rockner served as a model for the type used by Johann Schönsberger the Elder to print the Gebetbuch and Teuerdank. Rockner and Schönsberger's designs represented the culmination of some years' worth of reform in broken-letter scribal practice indirectly connected to the court. Some scholars trace the roots of Fraktur in the Kanzleischrift or Chancery script of calligrapher Wolfgang Spitzweg, a court scribe who died in 1472. Leonhard Wagner, Europe's most famous Renaissance calligrapher, presented Fraktura and Semi-Fraktura scripts as early as 1507 in his seminal Proba Cantum Scripturarum Diversarum, which also includes Greco-Roman styles. 
These three landmark texts, Wagner's Proba of 1507, Maximilian's Gebetbuch or Prayer Book of 1513, and his Teuerdank of 1517, are early milestones of the age of Fraktur in German-speaking Central Europe. Fraktur letters, as they were employed in both Europe and early America, are characterized by their use of ornate flourishes in both majuscule or uppercase and minuscule or lowercase letter forms, particularly overlines on minuscule letters B, H, K, and L. Known in German as Elefantenrüssel or elephant trunk, such long, exaggerated strokes complement the tall, thin F and S minuscules, among other flowing letter forms. Despite this commonality, fraktur majuscules and minuscules contrast sharply. Majuscules more likely consist of true broken script in which letter forms' component parts are disconnected from each other, whereas minuscules are frequently rounded. Fraktur majuscules are large and ornate. They often defy the rectilinear layout of the rest of the text. Fraktur shares this trait in common with late Roman imperial and Byzantine state scripts, as well as papal scripts of the early Middle Ages. Frakturschrift minuscules look rather different. The lowercase characters are narrow and tall compared to their medieval cousins. All these traits contribute to Fraktur's open, less constricted aesthetic, distinct from older Gothic types and scripts. With its increased contrast between majuscules and minuscules and open form, Frakturschrift was considered more legible than what had come before. You can find many examples of the script on my book's companion website, wordandwilderness.com. The appearance of Luther's Bible in Fraktur, coupled with the predominance of Fraktur at imperial court, established broken letter forms as symbols of German language and identity. The use of Fraktur type predominated in German language publishing in America through the 19th century, meaning that most of the German language printed books published in Pennsylvania appear in Fraktur. The production of ornamental manuscripts featuring Fraktur script by Germans in Pennsylvania was essentially a continuation of a manuscript culture common in Switzerland and the Rhineland, with a strong focus on religious devotion and education. The tradition flourished from roughly 1750 to 1850, and by the late 1800s, regional scholars had taken note of the otherworldly documents that looked so different from English-language manuscripts of the same period. The use of the term fraktur as a catch-all for script type and regional art form dates to the very earliest significant scholarship on the topic, namely Henry Chapman Mercer's paper read before the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia on September 17, 1897, titled The Survival of the Medieval Art of Illuminative Writing Among Pennsylvania Germans. In this paper, Mercer hails, quote, these glowing relics of the venerable stone farmhouses of eastern Pennsylvania. But in this paper, which truly inaugurated the field of Fraktur studies, Mercer himself reveals that a word he was using to represent an entire folk art enterprise actually had its roots in the wider world of penmanship and manuscript production in German-speaking Europe at the time. To quote Mercer, it appeared upon inquiry that the art of Fraktur was easily traceable to Germany, where, according to information received from foreign-born citizens of the United States, it had been taught without religious significance until about the year 1850 at public schools in Saxony, Bavaria, Hanover, Hesse, and Nassau. 
In other words, as Mercer points out, the religious illuminated manuscript art form common in Pennsylvania was really a strand of a much wider culture of penmanship instruction and handwriting common throughout the German-speaking world at the time. The many scholars who have followed in Mercer's footsteps have certainly noted the transatlantic heritage of the Pennsylvania German manuscript art form, but the regionalist impulses of this field of inquiry have limited the extent to which any students of the topic have emphasized the global nature of manuscript production. This has meant that the art form has been seen as distinctively Pennsylvania German and distinctively folk in nature, when in fact the transatlantic comparative perspective makes it seem much less unique than Pennsylvania's regionalist scholars would like us to believe. What originally was understood in the context of the history of calligraphy has become unfortunately separated from that heritage. A key area for the growth of this field of inquiry lies in placing the Pennsylvania manuscripts in broad, comparative context. Doing so requires shaking up how the word fraktur gets used. By now, you have probably realized that I prefer to say Pennsylvania German illuminated manuscripts rather than fraktur to describe the artworks that form the focus of the word in the wilderness. This is an intentional choice, because I seek to avoid the confusion associated with the word and how it is usually deployed in Pennsylvania German studies. Given my focus on placing Pennsylvania manuscripts in conversation with other manuscripts that all would agree should not be referred to as fraktur, I feel that this is a vital semantic change, and one that I hope will become commonplace in the field. Of course, to a certain extent, use of the term in its American context is simply unavoidable. For example, you'll notice that the word is used in descriptions of my book, because we simply needed to alert readers as to the book's topic, using the commonly accepted vocabulary. That said, I hope this terminology primer will help you think critically about the assumptions and perspectives that have shaped interpretations of the manuscripts for the last century. The study of Pennsylvania Germans and their emblematic calligraphy is still vibrant today, more than 120 years after Henry Mercer addressed the American Philosophical Society on the topic. If you'd like to learn more about the state of the field and where it might be headed in the coming years, please pick up a copy of The Word in the Wilderness. Visit wordinwilderness.com to find more information about the book, see images of various manuscripts that will help the discussion about script styles make more sense, and follow me on social media. In the next episode, we'll discuss who Pennsylvania's early German settlers were, why they came to colonial America, and what may have predisposed them to religious manuscript making. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to continuing our conversation on the next episode of Cloister Talk.